Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. It's ad time. Hey, we're sponsored. If you didn't know that, well, now you know. Knowing's half the battle, G.I. Joe. You heard it from me. So our first sponsor, listen, all of our sponsors, we strategically vet, we waterboard them, we interrogate them, and we put them through the Q course. They're all selected. They've either been to BUDS or SFAS or Ranger School. They're all Ranger qualified, every single one of them. What's interesting is that's a lie, um, but they're all good companies, and they all provide us with a lot of support. And every single one of these companies we have personal relationships with. I will not take any company that shows up unless they have a lot of money, and then I'm taking it. Just kidding. But seriously, I'll take it. Um, Basemap. Look, we're sponsored by Basemap. If you guys haven't checked out Basemap and gals haven't checked out Basemap, Basemap is a navigation application that rhymed. Also, they have a desktop version. If you're into hunting, fishing, doing outdoor shit, you should get base map because what I've realized about base map is not only do they have offline maps and not only is the imagery good, but it actually shows you the boundaries in which you can operate. If you're walking through Billy Bob's, because it will say Billy Bob, I've actually seen it before. If you're actually walking in Billy Bob's backyard, you're probably in the wrong place to be hunting and it's not hunting season. So there's two whammies. So Philcraft's is the coupon code, uh, Philcraft, not Fieldcrafts. Um, Fieldcraft is the coupon code to say 25% off the pro version. Look, if you want the best version, get the pro version. I recommend you go to app.basemap.com. That's app.basemap.com. Log on, uh, create an account, try it for a little bit validate and vet that I'm telling the truth and then bump up to the pro level. You can cancel anytime, try it out. I use base map for everything. We're going to Alaska in a couple of weeks and I've planned the navigation route via base map. We're also sponsored by Pelfrey built P E L F R Y B I L T. The reason it's Pelfrey is because Tyler and Satin Pelfrey who own Pelfrey built are an amazing group and family. Look, if you belong to the Pelfrey-built family, you just need to own the product and be a good fucking human being. If you're a shitbag, you don't belong to the Pelfrey-built family. I will tell you that Tyler and his wife are amazing people. They're patriots. They're veteran-owned. There's some good people putting out good products. What do they make? Every single thing on me and Kurt's rig that is uh, meant to protect the rig, the front bumpers, the rock sliders, the rear bumpers that swing out and do awesome, amazing stuff, uh, they they can stand the test of endurance and durability because we beat the shit out of them. And I, I have nothing but amazing things to say about Puffery Built. Hey, look, go to PufferyBuilt.com, save 10%, which is a big margin. If you know or deal in the area of steel and aluminum fab, 10% is a fab U-less deal. See what I did there? Fab U-less deal. Phil Craft. Also, this podcast is sponsored by U.S. Night Vision. Big ups to Jason. Yes, I said big ups to Jason uh, from U.S. Night Vision. Look, U.S. Night Vision has been a strategic partner from the get-go. If you want to get a drone that does flare and drops bombs, go on usnightvision.com. Just kidding. It has bomb capability, but they don't sell bombs, so you got to go somewhere else for that. But they have cool drones, thermal imagery, IR cut imagery, even imagery I don't even know about. Check them out. Go to usnightvision.com, use Fieldcraft. You see a theme here? Yeah, we save you lots of money in 10% brackets. Save 10% at 
at usnightvision.com. Also, this spectacular podcast is sponsored by Boss Strong Box. That's boss like Kurt is kind of, strong like Mike is always, and box, B-O-X. If you go to bossstrongbox.com and use Philcraft, you don't save 10% because Boss Strongbox decided they want to be better than everybody else. They're egotistical, they're good people, and they decided to give us 25% off. Look, if you're into anything that secures anything inside of a vehicle, inside of your house, that's made of steel, made in America, that's veteran-owned, bossstrongbox.com is the guys to go to. There's some gals that work there too, so I'm not trying to discriminate, you know what I'm saying? Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We talk about racism, we talk about crime in America, we talk about Chicago's shit crime statistics, we talk about how you should support law enforcement. Um, great episode. Hope you guys like it. If you don't, unsubscribe. Bye. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the <laughs> Philcraft Survival Podcast. I am your co-host, Mike. <laughs> and today's host is Kurt. Welcome. Welcome, we're, Kurt. We're both hosts. Welcome, Mert. There's no host or co-host anymore. It's just it's just Mert. Mert. This is the Mert Podcast. <laughs> the Mert. Hey, so today we're doing a podcast on surviving violent crime in America. And, you know, whether you're in America or overseas, violent crime is a fucking issue going on in the nation that's made rampant <laughs> and makes me anxious on, on media and seeing videos and everything else. But um, we decided to do this because there's a lot of things that you could do to prevent violent crime, but there's also some good content that comes out of kind of digesting uh, and figuring out solutions to, to problems that we're seeing in the nation, especially with a divisiveness that's being created by politicians in America. Thank what? you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's all. Uh, yeah, I have no doubt this will be a, I don't know, a thought-provoking podcast because I'm sure we're going to have opinions that people are going to be like, you guys are dumb racists, which is... Yeah. Tell, tell everybody, Kurt, about... So Kurt... <laughs> Underscore Team Philcraft uh, the other day decided, actually it was yesterday, we decided, I posted up a police officer uh, professionally giving a guy a ticket and the guy completely losing his mind and um, just posted it up and said, hey, we support you. We support LE. We teach LE. We've been, we taught, we've taught LE for decades. Yeah. Um, and then Kurt posted a video at the same time. <laughs> That was a video or a picture, a picture, right? Yeah, of uh, three football players, right, taking uh, kneeling before yeah. the flag recently, yeah, and then a navy, uh, you know, enlisted navy man, yeah, a seaman, a seaman, a seaman, <laughs> uh, was standing, uh, of course, standing at, uh, I think, at attention at that point, and then he said basically that he didn't agree with it. So, what what is exactly that you said? Um, uh, I mean, the gist of it. Look, here's the deal. You know, a lot of people have gone back and forth. And so I've, I'll post some things. Look for me personally. Um, it's not about me. Um, when I, when I look at guys kneeling during the anthem and I know, you know, what we think about our flag, what we've done for, uh, this country. And believe me, this isn't an entitlement thing. I don't want to thank you from anybody. I volunteered to do that. And I enjoyed the hell out of it or else I wouldn't have kept doing it. Um, but when I see things like that, it makes me, one, uh, pretty disappointed in the sense that, you know, 
people are out there and I call them social justice warriors. Hey, look, is there bad stuff going on in the United States? Yeah, there is. And I'm not going to, you know, I said this, uh, I responded to some people on that post and, you know, I said, I'm not going to pretend to understand all the issues, uh, whether it's in the inner city, uh, whether it's rural America, um, you know, different demographics, different races, you know, I have my perspective based off of what I've done in my life, um, which has been, you know, relatively interest, interesting because of what, you know, we chose to do in the military and what I chose to do in the military, um, and the experience gained doing that. And, you know, people <clears throat> that post, uh, when I see guys kneeling, I just, I actually feel bad for them because I feel like it's a, it's a pretty ignorant stance, um, not realizing, you know, that's fine. You know, I support the first amendment, right? I support the second amendment. Um, and I support people's rights. I mean, I, I, I really do. So these guys kneeling, I think it's done in poor taste. I would never tell them that they can't do it. Why do you think, why do you think it's done in poor taste? Why do you think kneeling? Just because I think, um, that it, you're basically, uh, you're basically in my mind denying, uh, the things that makes this country great. So in my post, I talked about Somehow in today's society, you know, there is some element inside of society that wants to make the anthem bad, wants to make, uh, you know, the flag represent everything that's wrong with this country. Um, and they use all these things. Uh, in the end, it's a political agenda. It really is. And so you were talking about earlier, we were talking about politics. I don't even like talk. One, I hate politicians. Um, I really, really feel like in today's day and age, there's so much divisive, uh, going on on both sides of the aisle. Um, and all it does is tear communities down. And, and I want you to think about this for a second. These people are doing this to get your vote. You're, they want you to vote, but they're going to tell you things that are half truths and using, you know, whatever stats based off of whoever, you know, they agree with and all these different things. Right. So, we get exposed to all this information, but you don't even know where the fuck it's coming from anymore because somebody has an agenda. Yeah. Um, and so it's a pretty dangerous uh, time in my mind because I feel like Americans are being uh, pitted against each other on issues um, that are meant to tear us down mm-hmm. um, instead of, you know, finding common ground with people. Um, but I feel like a lot of that's getting lost in the sense of, like, remember what country you live in. You know, it's pretty easy uh, here to criticize and to do a lot of things without fear of imprisonment. Um, you know, you can you can gather, you can protest, you can do all these things that, you know, both you and I saw um, in other countries. And that kind of stuff, you know, I've served in the former Soviet Union, um, and I spent nine months living there. And if there was an organized protest... Uh, you know, against the government there. I mean, these, these people would have been shot in the street, you know, I'm not going to yeah. get into countries and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, so from that perspective, I come home and I see what's going on here and I look at that and then I see the protests and, you know, uh, uh guys kneeling during the, that's fine. You want to do that? I still think you're an ignorant fuck. You know what I mean? You may have, uh, issues that you want to highlight, that's fine. Take a knee during the anthem. But here's my question to you. What are you doing when you're not on that football field to make a difference? And I know there are some athletes out there that are making a difference and they are putting their money where their mouth is and they're actually volunteering and they're, you know, servant leaders and all the things that I think that we respect. Um, there are guys doing that. So I'm not going to paint, 
a picture with this broad brush that some people aren't aren't making a difference. However, I think on a you know a larger scale, these guys are doing it for publicity. Um, they they want to say fuck the man, you know, or whatever that means to them. And I just think it's ignorant all the way around. I think there's there's a there's this is the longest answer ever. I, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm really passionate about it. That's why I'm giving yeah. a long answer because I want to explain myself and make it real clear. Like this isn't a race issue. This well, is a, I, I think it's a that, people issue. Well, I think my, my thing is they make it a racial issue. Yeah, that, absolutely. Because the, the, the point of the protest is the point of the avocation of of kneeling during the national anthem. They say has nothing to do with the country, but everything to do with racial discrimination. And so, I just want to make the point that I. I think everybody can acknowledge that racial discrimination in every society exists. If yeah. if you don't think that, then you you don't understand human psychology and behavior, um, and and that's evolutionary. I mean, that's science. Like it happens because we naturally segregate. We're naturally biased. And if you don't believe that, you think that that people who grow up don't develop bias based on yeah, it's, uh, it's them just living human nature based I mean, on their nature exactly right. then you're then you're um well misinformed well the best ones i love were the comments that said you know we're talking about my white privilege and how i was a racist yeah. and all this other bullshit yeah. and and uh i'm gonna do what racists typically do so i'm married to a hispanic right because i'm a fucking ku klux klan member yeah um but you know i had a discussion with my wife this morning and we were talking about it because it it is something that you know, is interesting to me and, and how, I mean, for God's sakes, you're my business partner and you're a half Korean, uh, white dude. And then I'm married to a Hispanic woman. So it's like, yeah, you got a Belgian dog. Yeah. I mean, I'm fucking, (laughs) I'm like, I walk in with my fucking, with my goddamn pillowcase over my head, you know what I mean? And And, eyes cut out. Well, that's, you know, that's a defense (laughs) mechanism for, um, well, I figure for those people who just, yeah, they don't have a typically my, like when you engage me right off the bat with you're a racist, I'm like, you're an ignorant fuck. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't even want to get involved in the discussion because that's like race baiting and doing that kind of shit is the easiest way to detract from the actual issue. Yeah. Which here's a fucking newsflash. This is exactly what politicians are doing right now. They want to take your attention away from the actual issues. And so they fucking jump on these extremely divisive things like race and all these other things uh, to take to fucking put a, a blinder uh, over your eyes so you don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. And then in the meantime, they're fucking, you know, playing puppet master in the background. I, and so, yeah, the, I think they're very, me off. like racial discrimination, for example. And I, I saw an interview recently with CNN's Don Lemon and LeBron James, two people that I think are very divisive and, and very negative and very toxic to our so- society. Don Lemon more more so on the media side and LeBron James more so on um, the privilege side. So LeBron James was stating the fact that he's been a victim of racial discrimination and he named an instance where he was called the N-word by a white person. And so he runs his campaign, which includes, in, in my eyes, being a racist. Um, he, he runs his campaign based on the fact that he's racially discriminated against 
Well, yeah, I and, mean, and small what he what he deems is is these astronomical like. Well, let's not be confused. Issues. Racism works in all different ways. It it doesn't just happen from it's a from white the blo- yeah male yeah you know against other races. I mean that that is a however many way street you want to call it. I mean it works in all those different ways, and and to try to say that it doesn't is an absolute lie. So well, I think so. My point of that is. You know, when you talk about racial discrimination, you can't really outline specific events that are causing you as a human being to not be able to do things uh, or, or discriminatory things that are not allowing you to, to proceed or move forward. Right. So the, that, that argument can't really be made for the, for the simple fact that um, racism isn't tolerated by any means necessary in any form in our justice system. Um, it, maybe there's systems or processes that you think are racist or people are racist, but the bottom line is everybody has more opportunities at an equal playing field than any time in our history, right? right? Yeah. And so what I would, fo- I, what I would you know, getting off of that, I, what I would focus on are the things that are tangibly creating issues in our so- society that aren't, metaphysical because racial discrimination is fucking metaphysical it's not tangible it's nothing that's concrete now there's instances of it but when you say against an entire race of human beings the white man is a bad man Mm -hmm. and is racist you're racist yourself yeah in in fact in, in fact don lemon i can i can note to points where don lemon and lebron james have both come out and said it's a white people problem White people are the problem. Yeah. White people are the issue. Well, and that's a that and yeah, that's a, the narrative that's been shoved down people's throats yeah. for. I don't decades. even know what the fuck that means. Well, I mean the yeah, I like mean, you, if you're a white person from, you know, the Czech Republic, and you come to America, are you immediately put in the pool of being a white racist because you have a white face? Well, I mean, and let's look through the history of the United States, and you know, a good example. I'm Irish. Uh, I'm of Irish descent, German descent. And the Irish immigrants that came to the United States were discriminated against uh, because of who they were coming from Ireland. So, you know, to pretend that only one race gets the, you know, the monopoly on discrimination or racism or anything else is absolutely an ignorant position. 100% it is. And I will tell you, um, and this is probably going to really piss some people off, I actually uh, feel bad for the black community in a sense of they have been manipulated by politicians. Absolutely. Absolutely. in a sense of uh, this victimhood that has absolutely stalemated uh, the ability of some of those folks to move forward. And so that's probably going to make a lot of people mad. I'm probably going to get called a racist again. I don't give a fuck. I'm just telling you based off of my perspective and what I've seen and what politicians do to people to get your vote. Okay, let's be real clear what they're doing. They're fucking manipulating you to get your vote. Um, at least that's what they do today, in my opinion. Uh, and that that's happening. And so, um, I, you know, again, it's just, it's dumbfounding to me, the ignorance that's displayed on a daily level. And then, you know, uh, back to the flat here, here's another point I want to make real quick, because I always say this, people have this expectation that somehow we're going to get it right every single time and that it's going to be perfect. No, it's not. It's fucking impossible. Stop stop with the expectation of perfection 
with everything and with human beha- behavior. Right. Yeah. yeah. With We're people. all fucked up with like, people. Yeah. yeah. Whites, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, like there's bad apples in every single friggin' group. But yeah, I mean there, but, but I like the point that you made earlier that at no time in the American history has there been more opportunities for every race uh, in this country than now. And, and that's true. Is it perfect? No. Uh, we'll continue to work to get better. And that's, you know, I think when, when you look at things uh, away from all the divisiveness and you move in positions of positivity, like that makes a huge difference. Yeah, 100%. I, you know, let's, <clears throat> outside of that, which is, you know, it's, it's really difficult for us to navigate that because it's hard to talk to somebody um, who calls you a racist or right. who just has this victimhood mentality um, to talk sense into them about what are some things that we could do to be better? What are the things that we could do um, to be more equal, to be less racist in their eyes? And it's, it's really difficult to talk to people like LeBron James or Don Lemon because they don't want to take, they have one stance, one idea, one objective, typically politicized objective, and that's it. Let's, let's switch our focus now. I'm going to talk, talk about crime statistics in Chicago because Chicago has been in the news, but hasn't been in the news enough. LeBron James is in, more in the news for him shooting a basketball in a net, uh, more so than black uh, African-American males and Hispanics are killed in Chicago. I want to give you some statistics that are probably – going to shock you and they should they should drive home the points that we're making. So where are we yeah so, so before you give statistics what yeah. are we looking at FBI so, website So we're looking at heyjackass.com which the name aside <laughs> but heyjackass.com is uh, known for having the most accurate uh, st- crime statistics on the city of Chicago than any other website. I'm going there. Yeah, uh, Kurt's going to go there right now and I'm going to outline last week's totals. Now we're talking the last 7 days uh, that were measured from August 5th to August 11th. Again, this is www.heyjackass.com. Shot and killed. This is in Chicago alone. One city, one inner city. 21 were shot and killed in a seven-day span. Yeah. That's three a day, right? Shot and wounded. 100 were shot and wounded. That's crime statistics that align themselves with war statistics of Iraq. Total shot, 121, and total homicides, 22. In the last year to date, which is January through the current date today, 305 people have been murdered. Wow. 1,585 have been shot and wounded for a total of 1,890. 360 homicides year to date. And now let's look at what I would deem a noble and just political, social cause to protest. 79.1% of all those murdered in 2018 year to date, so those 360 homicides, 79.1% were black. 12% were Hispanic and 6% of those were white. Let's just call it 80% for easy math. What? 80% were killed, were black, were African American. When you talk about a noble, you know, a noble cause to to protest or so, you know, 
those crime statistics obviously are, you know, obviously terrible, right? Nobody wants to hear that about our country. But here's my thing about all of it, um, you know, and going going specifically to the breakdown by race that you gave is, um, you know, I think the listeners will expect an answer from us on what to do about it, right? What what would be our our course of action to make that better? And so I would actually throw this question back to the communities that this is happening in. And I would ask you, how do you make it better? I have no doubt in my mind that there are fantastic people inside of those communities that are trying to make a difference. Right. But I, you know, it's a difficult thing to attack. I mean, it's, uh, to try to figure that out. And I honestly feel like it goes back to a human element of personal responsibility. Um, and I said this, you know, again, on my post and some answers that I answer people back and, it goes back to personal responsibility and accountability. We have to uh, be responsible for the decisions that we make as individuals. And I'm going to throw a little nugget out there. I've been arrested before for a bar fight. Mike knows the whole details of that. So I've you know, had my run-in with the law, per se. Um, I'm still super supportive of law enforcement. My dad's a retired uh, you know, police officer. But um, I had my own run-in. You know what I mean? And I got into a fight. Uh, I was in SF at the time with my teammates, got arrested, had to deal with all of that. I understand this, uh, the system as far as, you know, how I was uh, put through the system, if you will. Um, but, you know, I don't want to, let's not pretend like, uh, you know, one of us hasn't experienced that. You know what I mean? So yeah. I want to make it real clear. My experience may have been different than another race's. Uh, but however, you know, I was arrested for a bar fight. And so, you know, I'm not some kind of friggin' saint weighing in on the topic. Um, but I just think it's really interesting that typically what ends up happening when, when we list statistics like that, everybody wants answers. Why, why is this happening? Why they want to blame somebody. They want to blame the government. They want to blame, uh, they want to lay blame to anything, but the root cause of what's actually going on. And so, I challenge everybody that's listening to this podcast, be an honest broker of what's really going on in your communities and address those things and be a man or woman of action and go and do something about it. If, if you're a uh, black male listening to this podcast in the inner city of Chicago, I would challenge you to go and make a difference, man. Go and volunteer, be a leader Go and uh, be a leader of children and teach them the right way, uh, how to be, how to be uh, personally uh, accountable for your actions, what hard work looks like, um, you know, and any other positive thing that you can take out of that and be a leader, be a man or woman of action. Like, you know, people look at this podcast and be like, whoa, this is a really divisive issue they're talking about, but it really all, regardless of race, it goes back to personal accountability and responsibility. I cannot say that enough. Um, one, one interesting thing that, um, just I'll outline about the crime stats because it's, uh, it's talked about in, in, in this blue on black crime, right? There's a, there's a, there was a rampant movement, right? But the black lives matter, right? Well, like Chicago is the test bed right, for how can we solve the United States inner city problem? It should be, right? Out of the 305 people shot and killed, which I already told you 90%, 
or 79.1% were African American. Police officers killed four of those, um, were, were responsible for four of those shootings. Right. So police officers killed, to date, four um, people, race unknown, um, in 2018. The rest of them, so let's call it 301, were killed uh, in the inner city with related to some violent crime. Right. Something bad happening. One neighborhood. Look, this, I don't I don't know the size of this neighborhood, but it's called Austin. Year to date, there's been 42 homicides, 173 people wounded, 215 total. I would imagine that the police commissioner, uh, chief of police, police officers in that area that work in Austin, uh, in the inner city of Chicago, are probably dealing with what looks like a war. Yeah. They, they, that are asking for probably federal um, help of some capac- at some capacity. Maybe not because the mayor is Rahm Emanuel. <laughs> well, I, yeah. Well, here's, here's, some, here's some issues. The issues of is, is, you know, like Kurt described, there's a lot of political play that takes place in, in the decisions that are being made at the tactical level, which is the police officer level of the daily routine of these police officers and how they operate. What they're being told, guidance-wise, that all has the effect on the streets of what they're doing. Uh, one thing, uh, look, I, you know, we're talking about some solutions here. I think this VSO thing uh, should be one of the things that we do. I mean, I, I would occupy the streets of Austin. I would look at the statistics of Austin, um, uh, Chicago, and I would literally put my officers in the middle of that place. There's no outstation. You go into the end station, which could be a house in that inner inner city neighborhood. And you, you put yourself physically in that space to defend the innocent. The problem I have with this is I really don't give a fuck if criminals kill criminals. Right. I, I honestly have no empathy for a criminal being shot in the face by another criminal. I right. mean, criminal play is at hand. My problem is now we're compromising the whole point of police officers, right, is to enforce the law and protect the innocent. Right. Right? They're peace officers. They're maintaining peace. Well, what kind of protection do the communities of Austin, Garfield Park, Inglewood have in their communities when their children, their brothers, their fathers are being shot and killed and murdered in mass on the streets of their neighborhood? What, what about the grandmothers and the mothers and the children that are being killed, and they obviously are statistics in this. Yeah, and and nobody gives a fuck. You know, if you're LeBron James, you do something about it. Yeah, you have fucking millions of dollars that you are paid by fucking white people, black people, Asian people who watch you throw a fucking ball in a basketball net. Right, right, and run your ass up and down a fucking basketball court. You make millions of dollars. How about you trade in your fucking Bentley, right? your $500,000 Lambo, and you do something about it, not just talking shit on CNN, but you literally do something about it in these inner cities where African-Americans aren't being racially divided by white people. They're being killed by black people. How about you do something um, tangible about it? And, you know, look, I'm Asian. I'm the neutral race. You can't (laughs) fuck with me. 
I, I have, when I, when I was hanging out with my black friends in the army, freestyling, fucking around with those dudes, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Mike. I'm, I'm in the Asian dude. When I'm hanging around, fucking chewing chaw with my white friends, um, I'm Mike. I, I'm the Asian dude. You can't fuck with my race because uh, we're a neutral race. <laughs> um, Asians are the most racist, or racist human beings on the planet. <laughs> Let's not talk about the Japanese. We're not big fans of the Japanese because of real oppression. <laughs> real oppression. Um, you know, African Americans have a, a, no doubt been oppressed. You want to talk about real oppression? Well, I shouldn't define it like that. It's it's not real versus fake, but it's extremes. Oppression is the Japanese invading your country and raping and killing your people. Um, those are significant issues. Uh, give me a solution for something else because well, I, I, th- I think accountability I throw it out there because somebody's yeah. going to eat you up on that one and like. The bottom line is, is uh, here's the deal. Like, hey, slavery was a terrible thing in our history, in our past. Um, to sit here, you know, and, uh, you know, nobody's trying to minimize what happened to, uh, to folks that were taking, taken from the continent of Africa, brought here to be slaves, all the terrible things that happened to them and their families, rape, murder, uh, everything that you can think of, right? So... Nobody is trying to frigging uh, compare different things, but we are trying, I think we are trying to say that you're not the only folks that have experienced that. There are many races throughout the history of time uh, that have dealt with racial discrimination, with discrimination, being enslaved. Um, yeah, it's, it's part of America, right? Because it's part of our history and it's something that uh, that we definitely have talked about. Um, and I may, I tried to make this point, uh, when I was, you know, conversing with somebody over social media. And if you think today that we are on the same level that we were, you know, in the 17, 1800s, uh, I just disagree with you. I think you're, I think that's a, that is an absolute terrible, um, comparison, um, to try to put, uh, you know, uh, the race on the on the same level that things were going on back in the 17 1800s I mean to 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 use that comparison is just extremely ignorant and like I said yeah there's still issues and we need to work on things but but to say that somehow things are the same as they were they're not and every time you do that you take away from the people that fought so hard um, to to gain equal rights and and to do things in that movement um, you know, like Martin Luther King and, and, uh, you know, Rosa, Rosa Parks, all these people that stepped up and said, no, enough is enough. And then you want to, and then somehow politicians want to take us back to before that time, right? Because again, they're putting the blinders on everybody. And then to make a comparison that somehow, you know, today's, um, that today is the same as when slavery was, it was happening in the United States, I think is just an ignorant stance to be on. Um, you can disagree with me. That's fine. That's what makes. I, it, I don't think you need to justify yourself there. Yeah, I, think it's I just. The, I, well, I, think I know it's it'll a matter be, of fact. It, it'll be. Well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Fuck. Who cares? Who cares? My my look. My stance. Our stance is. You know what? If you're talking about all these things that don't matter to to you being a better human being today and moving forward, look, you're gonna you're gonna have social fucking injustice everywhere you go. If if you live in a world where you think that uh, you can get through life and not run into injustice or run into issues or bias or racism, then you're living in a false reality. It, it's not about what's going to happen. It's what you're going to do when it does happen. It's, it's the effect, right? It's, 
It's what, what's going to come out of it. Just do you focus on yourself, focus on your family, focus on preparedness, handling your own shit, and you'll be okay. I, I tell you, like you said, the, the biggest issue I have with all this, and this is the reason I'm so passionate about it in my sense, is the fact that we concentrate too much effort breaking each other down and not focusing on individual responsibility like you, like you laid out. Individual responsibility is, is um, in my eyes, just like Kurt described, is one of the main things that's going to get us through all these difficult social issues to realize what we need to concentrate our efforts on. All right, let's move on. Wait, I want to throw one thing out there. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right, Kurt. No, Kurt's I, I do. I, I, you know, I know that um, there's going to be some people that talk about LeBron James and the fact that we used him as an example, right, when you're talking about uh, racism or whatever in a two-way street. Um, one, I want to bring up the fact that uh, obviously LeBron opened the Promise School um, and that school was designed um, to help at-risk youth. And I read a bunch of stuff about it. Um, it's super interesting concept. Uh, to not give him credit for that would be inappropriate, I think. And the fact that, you know, he's doing that. The thing that I don't understand is like the point that you brought up, Mike, is that, uh, you know, we will go and do things like that, right? But then there's still a lot of divisive uh, rhetoric um, as far as race is concerned. It's like, hey, man, I get uh, doing the promise school, and I think that was friggin' awesome. Um, but when you're, you know, up talking about uh, on an interview and then you talk about all these different things, like I think it sends a mixed message um, instead of sending a message of unity, which is, hey, you know what? There is going to be racial discrimination. There's going to be a lot of fucked up things that happen. Uh, but the more that we, you know, push personal responsibility and accountability and, you know, being good to one one another, you know, the old adage, treat somebody the way you want to be treated. Um, just doing basic things like that and teaching our children what that means, uh, I think, you know, the better off we are, to be honest. So I just want to throw that out there. Agreed. Yeah, we're not, you know, a bunch of friggin' morons that can't understand what's going on in the world. Hey, kudos to LeBron for opening the school. Um, you know, it's a way to make a difference, and I think that's a positive thing. However, I think LeBron James is a racist. Right, yeah. I think he's a racist. <laughs> he, I think Don Lemon from CNN and LeBron James are racist. <laughs> Every single outtake that I've seen them do makes me look at them and go, what you just said was racist, and I'm Asian. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not batting for the white side because I have a white face and Asian eyes. <laughs> I'm batting for the people side. And if, you're, if you have a platform like CNN, a network, and you sound like a racist, I've already written you off. So anyways... <laughs> Back to violent crime. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, so surviving violent crime. Yeah, I'm not a fan of millionaire basketball players using their platform to push racism. I mean, just not, not a fan of that. I fucking hate them all, honestly. <laughs> all right, in 2016, this is uh, FBI stat statistics in 2016, and I think a lot of these statistics um, that we're going to talk about um, deal in the realm of violent crime, obviously. But, you know, when we talk about this, we want to give you solutions because I think... You know, talking about the concept is is one thing, but at, at Phil Craft Survival, you know, me and Kurt's experiences, we've dealt with violent uh, people, um, uh, and we've been killed by violent people in war. Uh, our brothers have uh, paid the ultimate sacrifice, and we've killed a lot of violent people that, that have done a lot of harm to a lot of uh, innocent people. And so, 
we have the tangible solutions for a lot of these problem sets. So let's talk about a couple of them. One, just the overview. Uh, I'm giving you a statistic from the FBI.gov site because FBI obviously keeps good statistics on crime because it's in their wheelhouse. In 2016, an estimated 1.2 million violent crimes occurred nationwide. So that's a one-year span in 2016, 1.2 million. An increase of uh, 4% over 2015. Uh, actually, violent crime as a whole has reduced from 16 to 17, but in 2017, murder rates have actually increased. So take it for what, it, for what it's worth. I believe the last time I looked at this, you have about a 1 in 3 to 1 in 4 chance, let's call it 3.5, <laughs> uh, chance of being a victim of a violent crime, which includes assault, rape, uh, murder, um, a, a whole bunch of violent stuff. So there was an estimated 386 violent crimes, which is right on par uh, per 100,000 inhabitants in 2016. Uh, it rose 3.4% uh, when compared to 2015. Assaults accounted for 64%. Robberies was also 26% of that violent crime statistics. So if you're a victim of violent crime, more than likely you're being robbed or you're getting your ass beat over a, a certain situation. And um, murder obviously plays into that, um, but rape, robbery, and aggravated assault are the big ones. Let's first talk about um, uh, murder, because um, murder is the first one on the browser that popped up. Murder was the case that they gave me. Murder was the case <laughs> that they gave me. Sorry, um, I had to... See, you're not racist. You know Snoop Dogg lyrics. I know. I grew up in L.A., man. I'm a Snoop fan. You're a Snoop fan. Snoop a loop. Uh, a lot of people associate murder uh, with the fact, uh, you know, just because we live in a two-A world, for lack of a better term. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. What do, what do we say anymore? We're just, we don't say anything. We don't say anything. Uh, we live in a two-A world, but the, the, the fact is a lot of people associate murders with uh, firearms. And for this for this uh, subject matter, and I'm, I'm I'm framing this for Kurt because I'm going to use Kurt as the uh, oh no the uh, answer solution for this uh, problem set. So when we when we tie murders, uh, assaults, rape, and all these things, look, we're going to address them the same way, which is your individual responsibility, which we talked about before, and in our wheelhouse that includes everyday carry. Sure. So everyday carry for us right now is having being a responsible gun owner, mm -hmm. owning a concealed carry license, mm -hmm. following the laws of your state, right. your, your county, your city, and then uh, responsibly carrying. You probably don't have a concealed carry permit if you live in a city. but That's true. Well, That's I mean, true. depending well, on what state. Yeah, 90% of the cities. <laughs> so um, that, that's a self-defense uh, mechanism, right? Because not only is it uh, a way to defend yourself, but it's a conclusive way to defend yourself. Yeah. If you're put in a situation where you're about to be a victim of a violent crime, mm -hmm. meaning you're about to get raped, you're about to get your ass beat, um, you're, you're about to get robbed or attempted um, robbery and murder, you have the right to defend yourself. Right. You can't defend yourself with your hands Well, it depends all the time. on what politician you ask, but... I know, absolutely. Keep going. Absolutely. So... <laughs> My question to you would be, what setup are you using for everyday carry, and why are you using that setup? Uh, so for me, I've talked about this before, but uh, for, for my everyday carry, I carry a Glock 43 with a plus two on the mag. Uh, if you don't know what a Glock 43 is, it's a single stack 9mm pistol. 
Uh, I've got aftermarket sights on it, mainly a uh, night sight and then a large white dot on the front sight post. Uh, I think typically I'd have to ask Mason again. I always ask uh, Mason, our resident Maricopa County SWAT guy, uh, what the, there's a, there's an FBI crime statistic, uh, that basically says, Hey, most violent encounters happen within, you know, a certain, uh, distance away from you. And typically, you know, that distance is, uh, pretty close. So we're talking, I think it's between 10 and five, uh, five feet or yards or something like that. Yeah. Um, obviously yards would be a little bit further, but, uh, but the bottom line is within if you, 12 feet is the, right. Yes, if the, you start yeah. doing the math and you can, uh, you know, there's stats out there on how fast the average male moves at a walk at a sprint, like all these different things, right? If you start breaking those things down, you realize pretty quickly that, uh, especially being on the defense, like if that bad guy, that predator, uh, is on the offense, which right, typically they are when violent crime happens, um, that doesn't leave you a lot of time. And so, you know, my uh, concealed carry setup is appendix carry up front. You know, I'm a left-handed guy. Uh, and so I carry that Glock 43 in a uh, concealed carry holster or in, in the waistband holster. And I practice. Um, I practice, you know, whether I'm wearing a T-shirt or a button-up shirt or whatever, uh, the draw. You know, that's one thing because I want to I wanna have the ability to get the gun out quickly uh, and on target and defend myself because I realize that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen really fast. Uh, carry around in the chamber because you don't get second chances when it comes to stuff like that unless, uh, you know, the bad guy is all fucked up. Um, but, you know, if they're coming at you with a knife, with a firearm, whatever, uh, it's fast and violent. And, and they... These guys know and these gals know that perpetrate this violent crime, they have to be the bigger A type uh, and they have they understand violence and that they have to bring more violence uh, than than uh, than you can produce. And so we understand uh, because of what we used to do for a living. And we still have that mindset that you have to come at that violence with even more violence if you want to win. So um, it's a whole I think it, it goes really deep into your mindset. Don't digress. We're not, not we're not there yet. <laughs> what so when your holster set up your EDC uh, yeah. setup, when you're moving from your you're moving from your uh, personal setup uh, into your truck, are you taking out your holster and putting it stowing it somewhere in the truck or are you keeping it inside your appendix carry setup? No, so when uh, I've got Wetacoli seat covers which uh, is a pretty I don't know. They're nice. You had them. So, oh yeah. The neoprene seat yeah, covers exactly. with the pocket, right? Yeah. They do a pocket, uh, in between your legs and the driver's seat. So I typically, when I'm on a long drive, I'll put my pistol there between my legs. If I'm yeah. doing a short drive, um, typically I still keep my gun in the holster appendix carry mm -hmm. really. I mean, both methods I think are effective, uh, and they're fast. If you need to get the gun out and defend yourself, um, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios that you can throw in there. I mean, one of them, a good one that we, that we used to talk about was, uh, like when, when it is, when is it an appropriate time to defend yourself? Like, you know, if some dude walks up to rob you, um, and he's like, give me your fucking wallet, you know, uh, I mean, are you going to get into a gunfight over your wallet if you're staying there with your wife and kids, or are you just going to give the dude your wallet and then watch him walk away? Or, yeah. I mean, this is really, you know, we're not there yet. Yeah, questions. Yep, we're not there about. yet. <laughs> I'm not so, answering all of them. <laughs> so um, that that lends itself to uh, uh, 
go, you know, talking about your other uh, EDC setups that you have, because your EDC setup changes, right? And I, I know you've gone from different guns. Is it seasonally? Have you changed guns seasonally? Or are you going to run the Glock 43 <laughs> summer, winter? Yeah. So I always appendix carry. It's what I've trained for a long time. So yeah, you know, uh, definitely one of, th- one of the considerations would be winter time, uh, especially if you're in really cold areas and you have a jacket on. Um, I've actually put the Glock 43 inside of uh, one of my jackets in the pocket. Um, only thing is you got to run a little bit smaller mag. So the, the, you know, the one that it comes with, which is a six round magazine fits a little bit better instead of a plus two inside the pocket. But one thing to consider, and you talk about this all the time, but is running your pistol in your jacket pocket. So that way, you know, if somebody rolls up on you pretty quickly, you can reach your hand in your pocket and be on on the gun relatively quickly, uh, and then draw it, you know, from a pocket, obviously all things you got to practice. The um, if you guys are interested on YouTube because it just clicked in my head, you d- we just released last week the video of you talking about EDC considerations for Glock forty three right. on the Philcraft Survival Channel. Yeah, so, I just gave a little vignette on yep. in a class on how I roll and why. Isn't that the one where your your stomach showed on the camera and we we yeah. photoshopped? I'm not abs? as I'm not as felt as I used to be. <laughs> uh, I can I, I used to have six abs now I have one so no big deal <laughs> I, you've earned it. <laughs> yeah. If um so uh, something else to consider is uh, inside the waistband which we've created inside the waistband tourniquet holster right. Um, you know, a lot of people, I was just reading some statistics this morning, was talking about it. 1.3 million people die worldwide of car accidents, vehicular accidents. Right. And I think when I, when I think about that number, you know, it's, for the U.S., it's around 30,000. Mm-hmm. So 30,000 human beings die on the roads from vehicular accidents in America. How many of those could have been um, prevented with the use of a tourniquet? Because... Obviously, in a car accident or vehicle accident, um, your legs are potentially compromised. And so when that happens, um, how many of those people use tourniquets? How many people didn't have tourniquets available when they bled out inside their car? Yeah, I think uh, today's day and age, we learned in the military uh, relatively quickly because of the enemy that we faced and the problems that we faced with uh, you know improvised explosive devices and gunshot wounds and all these things that... Um, you know, the nature of that type of warfare, you know, produces some pretty catastrophic injuries. And so, um, not having a tourniquet was, you know, wasn't an option. Now that we find ourselves in the civilian world, you know, we've kind of looked at a lot of different problem sets, like some of our other brothers in special operations that have left the military and they understood that, Hey, in a trauma situation, this is why we carried these things. And so, uh, you know, even, you know, we're talking about violent crime right now, even accidents, anything, right. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to not have a small med kit with a tourniquet, um, on your person. And, uh, you know, another example would be unfortunate, you know, the unfortunate mass shooting in Las Vegas. And yeah, it's like, um, you know, a bunch of what we used to call IFACs, which were individual first aid kits. It's like, it's kind of crazy that we got to talk about this kind of stuff in this day and age um, and all the progression we talked about earlier. But now you're worried about a fucking mass shooter in a school or a concert or something like that. And you're like trying to plan your evening 
you know, with your individual first aid kit and your EDC or whatever you're carrying, uh, because that's a real threat because you don't know what some crazy fuck's going to do. You know, I, I like the fact that if a tourniquet's part of your EDC, which is a, a, a behavior change, right? It's a habitual change. Right. You wake up every morning, you go to your your EDC mat and you put it in. That it's part of your carry that's always there as a peace of mind. Right. That's important. Yep. No, I mean, absolutely. Like uh, getting, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time uh, or energy to be able to go and go to some of these stop the bleed classes, go to some of our med classes and get, you know, the basics. Uh, Nobody expects you to be a paramedic on site or an 18 Delta, you know, special forces medic. But if you have the ability to do something prior to a first responder showing up, uh, I mean, you know, or do self-aid if you're the victim of a violent crime and you're injured, uh, being able to treat yourself until a first responder can show if you're conscious, um, that's a big deal. And, it, it, you know, we always talk about capabilities as individuals and training and all these different things. Well, I want to be a more capable individual. Fortunately for us, the job that we did in the military made us extremely capable individuals um, and then even more capable in a team. Um, but, you know, now that I look at civilian life, you know, I, you know, obviously we interact with a lot of people that are interested um, in it in general. And I think it's smart to do that for yourself and your family. It just, in this day and age, it doesn't make sense not to, because there's a lot of experienced folks out there like us that have the ability to teach people the right way. So yeah, I like that. So if you're, you guys are interested, you know, we have the inside waistband, uh, inside the waistband tourniquet holster for the North American rescue cat tourniquet. Look, I mean, there's no, uh, I carried a cat tourniquet on my person in every combat operation that I went on times three on my kit. I carried one on my chest, typically somewhere where I can grab it um, right over my chest on the outside of my body armor. I carried one inside my IFAC on my belt, uh, which is typically a combat belt where if I just got dislocated or removed from my kit, I would still have the belt uh, attached to me. And I actually always carried one inside of a pocket. Um, inside of a cargo pocket or on my belt rubber banded uh, that in case I got completely separated or even blown out of my kit. Right. I mean, if you get shot in combat, you're going to get shot in the chest, um, hopefully not the face. You get shot in the chest, it's going to displace your kit. You get blown up in an IED, you know um, when you get blown up, your, your kit's everywhere. Yeah. And so trying to manage that process, uh, the best place to put it is inside the waistband. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's somewhere tucked away, and I think we came up with a, a viable and valuable solution to that. Yeah. Uh, so if you guys are interested, philcraftsurvival.com. Please use Tribe, if you're listening to this, uh, to save 15%. Um, buy one for yourself. Buy one for your 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 uh, partner, your spouse, your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, everybody in the family. Yep. Um, you just can't have enough of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about... If you guys are just tuning in, we're on a live feed on PhilCraftSurvival.com. You're listening to the PhilCraft Survival podcast. We're doing a live feed of it, um, and we are live in the studio, PhilCraft Survival st- studio. <laughs> so, which is just really a table and a room <laughs> with curtains yeah. and a couple of pictures. We'll hanging pan out. around at the end. Yeah, we'll pan around at the end. Uh, but appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll ask you guys for some questions here in a little bit. Uh, I want to get back to the topic, which is uh, surviving violent crime in America. Um, Something that you said, and I didn't want you to go down to a down a down a rabbit hole because I want you now to go down a rabbit hole. Okay, is uh, situational awareness, which is um, the the thinking processes prior to putting yourself into a situation 
where you might have to use your everyday carry, your pistol. And uh, it's not really talked about enough because I think a lot of people don't have real solutions because it's kind of <laughs> scenario-based, right? There's a lot of variables. Yeah. But what are some things that you could do technically um, in order to set yourself up for success and not putting yourself in a bad situation? Some of it's common sense, but let's talk about it because, hell, a lot of people are like, what, what the fuck do I do? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, uh, first off, we get messed with, uh, messed with a lot about this, which is situational awareness. And, uh, you know, when you go to the VA and they're like, you have post-traumatic stress disorder, you have hypervigilance. Well, yeah, no shit. Cause yeah, I've seen bad things happen. So, uh, one of the things you can do that I can think of right off the bat is don't go to shitty areas. Uh, and don't go to shitty yeah, areas. Well, actually jump on the internet, yeah. uh, FBI.gov. You can go onto their website and you can actually use their search engine and look up crime by state and city. Uh, so that's a good resource to look at first. So you know where all the bad areas yep. are at. Uh, well, let's talk about, let's break that down a little bit. Cause you say stay away from bad areas and I'm going to get called a racist again. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're on this thing. I don't, you don't have anything to I'm worry white. about. I, I know you, about um, when I look at your white face, it annoys me sometimes, but I don't think that's racism. Um, <laughs> that's because we're with each other every fucking day. Yeah. Sometimes it, it, you you're don't like, annoy me and I just go yeah. home, get the fuck get out of the away office from here. Yeah. I need a break. Um, Staying away from dangerous areas. And, you know, a lot of people who uh, run themselves, and I say run themselves, it's not their fault, but they run themselves into becoming a crime statistic mm-hmm. is because they're off the beaten path, meaning their their typical pattern or where they know yeah. of what's being said. They had safe. to leave the path. They had to leave the path. Right. And then when they leave the path, they're, they're not prepared. They're mm-hmm. not every EDC, EDM set up. Um, and then they become a victim. Yeah. When you say, uh, you know, stay on the path or or stay out of bad areas, what are some th- what are some things that people can do um, outside of like looking on FBI.gov? Yeah. I um, mean, I think the smart thing to do planning is planning and preparation. Maybe? Yeah. I mean, it, it it absolutely goes into planning and preparation and and understanding your environment, like where you live, where the bad areas are. What do they say? Understanding to, your operational environment. That's yeah. every, every sergeant major. We're going to dork out in the military stuff, yeah. what, but it actually applies. Yeah. So, um, but no, you know, from a planning sense, it's literally gathering all that data to help make you a more informed person. So like for us, it would be, you know, gathering intelligence about the bad guy or target that we're going to. Um, and all the different things along the way that could be routes that could be, you know, flying over any aircraft, right? Not in, in a civilian perspective, but replace any aircraft with, you know, a shitty neighborhood or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you're using, nav- you know, most people use navigation uh, on their phone now, whether it's Google Maps or whatever, obviously Google Maps isn't going to be like, hey, this is a shithole you're driving through. But if you know the area, streets and some things like that committed to memory, or you have a little five by eight card that you maybe. I almost lost the mic. <laughs> I saw that. Your lips got real close to that thing. It was, it was like I grabbed it with my teeth on yeah. the live. Um, no, but if, uh, so if you can understand the, the, uh, the picture that I'm painting right now, it's to gather all that information and then make a clear picture for yourself about, uh, I would call it your operating environment, but it's really the area that you live in. When you go to work, when you come home from work, it's literally pulling all that data and then putting all the pieces of the puzzle together so you have a good understanding of the area that you're in. Uh, when you go to travel for work, same thing. Uh, whenever I go somewhere prior to going, 
I actually jump on there. I look at the weather. The I look, CIA website actually is good information for <laughs> yeah. atmospherics for dangerous countries. Yeah, absolutely. The State Department, we've talked about all that before on a, on a podcast, but when you leave the country, there's all these other resources that can help also give you the same information so you know, for example, if I'm going to Italy and, you know, petty crime or whatever you want to call it is pickpockets and all this other shit, like they give you tips on how to not get pickpocketed, right? So. Yeah. Um, the internet's a great resource that way, um, as long as it's uh, you know a decent website vetted and it's somebody with experience that you're getting information from. But those are all the type of things that I would consider preparation and planning, you know, to be ready for whatever environment you're working in or living in or whatever. I think uh, something else to consider in the uh, preparation phase of it is you know it's what we did in special operations where we. Somebody chimed in and said local police department, too. That's a great resource. Absolutely. Where we imagined ourselves as bad guys, Mm -hmm. right? We played, uh, we did what's called uh, war gaming uh, or course of action development, right? right? And we we pretended like we're the bad guys. Look, if you want to survive as a good guy, you got to imagine yourself as a bad guy because you got to imagine what you would do from the bad guy's perspective. Right. Bad guys are not looking for six foot one dudes pumping gas who look like the EDC and th- like they're bad out of a five eleven. Yeah. Uh, they came out of a five eleven catalog. <laughs> so yeah, get your five eleven cargo pants yeah. and you'll be less of chance uh, of being a victim. But you, if, if you think about that mentality, uh, you'd realize that if you look like a potential victim, sometimes I set myself up like that. I mm-hmm. want to look like a victim so I could, you know, I want to get my conus kill. <laughs> But, but if so, if Mike I, walks around with fucking big <laughs> moo-moos on. It was like in Sear School where I'm limping around. They're like, "Mike, are you injured?" Like, "No, dude, I'm just playing the role, man. I'm I'm injured." Yeah, yeah. Um, you got like fucking wads of hundreds like taped to the outside of your shirt. You're like, "Come it and says, get it. Come and take it." With yeah, the come, come and, and take, take it. it T-shirt on. Oh man, <laughs> you, you want you want to set yourself up to uh, be perceived as somebody who's confident and knows what you're doing because you're less be less likely obviously to be a victim. If you set if you're setting yourself up um, because you don't have good situational awareness, then you're going to be a victim of violent crime potentially. Right. Um, look, there's no way to track that, but I'll tell you just from experience, um, nobody's really going to fuck with us. And if they do, they go high and right really fast, and, and there's an option for them. They're typically crazy, though. That's actually happened before. Yeah. Remember the California gas station? We've told that story before. Which one? The one where the guy pulled up to the Oh, gas yeah, it pump. almost rammed you? Yeah. No, 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 no. It was you were outside pumping gas, and the dude... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was like, just went off. Oh, like yeah. fucking bananas. Oh, that, that was, was crazy. Awesome. And that, he like closed the distance, too. Yeah. He was like getting all up. Oh, that was weird. Yeah. Yeah, but so, um, and that ties into situational awareness. What does situational awareness mean? Uh, one, I'll tell you one, and then uh, we'll get let Kurt uh, chime in. But one is just literally observing the environment that you're in. I notice a lot of people, because we teach this for a living, a lot of people in their everyday lives that get in this pattern of life and this routine, they don't pay attention to what's happening around them. They're in their phone, they're driving, they're communicating to the people in their vehicle, but they're not looking and observing or consciously taking in their environment around them. Right. One, One habit to instill into your life is every time you go into a new situation, let's say you're in the parking lot and you walk into a restaurant. 
when you walk into a restaurant, make deliberate observations, like you would scan on the range after shooting a, a, a string of fire. <laughs> you look left, you look right. Why can I see you walking into a restaurant like air gunning everybody? <laughs> air gunning everybody. <laughs> um, you look left, you look right, but you're not just looking, you're scanning and observing, meaning you're consciously taking in uh, information. And just like I heard this morning, I actually heard an SF guy on Instagram talking about it. When you look behind you, you're not just looking behind you to check the block. You're looking to observe, to see what is actually there. I always look behind me with the with the hopes that someone's going to press up against me nice and close. And, and hold you, <laughs> hold you close. Kurt needs some oh, intimacy. God. So if you're into that yeah. and you see him in public, please, please do that. <laughs> Come and, uh, up behind Scott. me and give me a hug. Please. A big bear. He'll hug. embrace it. Um, <laughs> But, but our lack of, lack of observation is just not looking. So when you go into these environments, every time you do it, which you'll be now associated with PTSD and hypervigilance if you yeah. do this, because it seems like it's a bad thing, but I think it's a, um, a, a great thing to do, is observe your environment, make mental notes of what you see and observe, and try to reduce the risk. Try to mitigate the risk off the bat. If you walk in... You don't want to know our thought process when we do that. We oh, yeah. look around the room, we're like, crazy fuck, crazy fuck, dumpy dude, no threat, crazy yep. fuck. 100%. I'll kill him, <laughs> I'll kill him, I'll kill him. He'll be a problem. Um, and then, you know, I like ironically enough, in talking about this, when I go into an environment like a restaurant, I typically sit, sit by the trash. And it's my observation in sitting by the trash that I typically do that because restaurants engineer their trash no, in the I back you of the were room. dumpster diving. <laughs> I was, yeah. well, when I don't have money yeah. and Phil Craft is going bad. You fucking grab a ham bad. sandwich out of that. I, Yeah. You, you could eat. I mean, that's cool. You're trying to play this off as situational awareness. It's survival. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's survival. We're not talking about uh, you know hasty survival. We're talking about situational awareness. You're like, awareness. man, that motherfucker just threw away a whole plate of calamari. Mm, that, that shit ham slice? Cool. <laughs> yeah. um, if uh, uh, you're in that situation, just observe. Um, now, Kurt... Oh man! I can shoot your shit. Down. I already gave no, 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 no. no. On I situational already, awareness. Yeah, this I already gave different. mine. mine no, 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 okay. no. All right, I got. I have a really good one. Yeah. So if you got to stop in a bad place, and you got to get gas, for example, you're gonna run out of gas because you're like my wife, uh, who you know takes it to the E, takes it to the E, and then she's like, I can make it another twenty miles, and I'm like, what if what? something bad happens? Exactly, yeah, it drives me crazy. Anyways, I love you. Um, <laughs> she's habitual about that. She even told me that she does that. <laughs> I think she does it because she knows it pisses me off. Yeah. So, um, anyways, so she, uh, oh no, back to my story, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. My example. So if you got to get out, you got to get gas. Um, Hey, do it in a somewhat expedited manner. If you've got to go inside the convenience store, be, don't take your sweet ass time. Right. So we used to have a saying in the military, speed was security. Yeah. And so obviously you can't make the, uh, you know, if you've got to pump gas, you can't make it pump any faster than it's supposed to. But while you're out there pumping gas, I always, especially if I'm, if I stop somewhere at night, like my situational awareness is heightened and I'm constantly looking around me, especially if it's busy. Um, and I want, I'm, I'm watching people because who knows what's going to happen, you know? So does that make you crazy to be more uh, situationally aware? No, it doesn't. It actually, being a little bit hypervigilant is a good thing uh, because you're aware of what's going on in your surroundings. And it just keeps you, I always tell people I use my eyes and we talk about this in close quarters battle to gather intelligence. It helps us make educated decisions. And so if I see, you know, a bunch of shitheads that are on drugs, like I'm not going to go over to that area, you know? So it's just That's real smart. common sense stuff. And when I hop out at a gas station, moving quickly inside and out, if it's late at night 
And then, you know, when I'm pumping gas, it's, uh, I'm constantly keeping tabs on everything that's going on around me. I, I think that's smart. Cause you know, it's actually chronologically making six sense now. And, uh, the next thing that, uh, ties into it is deliberate decision-making. Like you said, look, you're observing to take an in information to make a decision and, in life, you come across set decision points throughout the day and making choices. And those choices are deliberately made daily um, by the hour, by the minute, right? So if you're in a situation, for example, where you you observe something that doesn't seem right. Right. Look, more people get killed because of their curiosity mm-hmm. and trying to get capture things on live feeds, on, on their social media, or because they just want to be... Um, a nosy human being. Right. It's in our nature. Mm-hmm. Whenever I, and I'm deliberate about this now because part of me. You hear a gunshot and you run towards it with your iPhone well, now. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, which happens, right? People nowadays, I mean, you could, you could just YouTube it. There's people who videotape gunfights between police officers and, and uh, people who are getting uh, engaged and vice versa, crime, everything else, right. who want to capture the, mo- the moment. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, the point is they did it for the gram. They did it for the gram. Mm-hmm. The point is outside of that, when you sense there is a sense, right? Meaning this doesn't seem right. Yeah. My rule of thumb is I move the fuck out. Yeah. Now, be, based on our training, we teach this in active shooting. Um, in an active shooter scenario or situation that takes place, your reaction is going to be based off of your experience and a, and ability. To, to help or hurt the problem. Right. A good example of that is me and Kurt were driving back uh, from an event and we saw an accident Yeah. Uh, right in front of us. Kurt saw smoke in the distance and it, and it was a half a mile in front of us. We closed the distance because we were going about 80 miles an hour, which the speed limit was 65. Was 65. <laughs> and we came across the accident very fast. It just literally happened. A, a Jeep crossed over a grass median, yeah. hit a vehicle on the door, and I don't know. They I were evacuated. No, yeah, nobody died. Yeah, it didn't they, look like anybody. They, did. There was. Uh, they evacuated this uh, the vehicle, and it was happening as we drove. I slowed down the vehicle, and we made an assessment. The assessment was: was there anybody that we could see that was critically injured or that needed life saving on the spot? And the answer was no. Mm-hmm. So if there was, me and Kurt would have stopped. That's just in our nature to to do that when when the help is needed. Right. But at that situation, if we stopped and decided to render aid or help outside of the controversy behind it, I don't even give a fuck. You want to sue me for trying to help save your life? I don't care. Sue me. Well, there's a good Samaritan law now Yeah, that helps a little bit with protecting people. So our decision-making process was if we showed up on the scene at the same time that everybody else trying to help, are we making the situation worse or better? And our determination was we were going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. Despite uh, we probably had more training or capability on the X than most people we would have made the situation worse. So we decided to drive by it. Right. Which is not an easy thing for us to do, period. Mm-hmm. If that was an active shooting and people were dying, you better believe me and Kurt would be getting our guns, gunning up, and running into the gunfight. Not because of anything machismo relate, related, but everything related to the fact that we have a capability and right. a skill set um, to potentially end that. So when you're living your life and you're coming across choices and left and right junctures, you have decisions to make. If you want to um, make this habitual, make the decision 
deliberate every single time that you come across something that uh, tells you that it's a bad situation and walk away. Yeah. Displace yourself physically from that uh, situation and you have a higher probability of not being a victim of a violent crime. Uh, I, I, that's, to me, it's common sense, but nobody fucking does it. Yeah. You hear a gunshot. Oh, what was that? You see something about to go bad. Ooh, let's see what happens here. You, you're, you're in a situation where you're like, oh, shit's about to go down. Ooh, yeah, let's, let's be the passive observer. And then the next thing you are, you're the not-so-passive victim. You're cannon fodder. You're cannon fodder. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, one of the, an interesting thing to talk about, there's, uh, there's some stuff circulating on social media right now. I actually had a buddy from Bragg send it to me, and it was a, uh, a couple that was traveling the world. I don't know if you saw this or not, but, uh, you know, they wanted to prove to the world that human beings are good in nature. And they got kidnapped. And, and they got stabbed to death. Are you serious? Yeah, by five guys. Um, they were in a country that wasn't very friendly to Westerners. Where were they at? Uh, I don't remember, um, so I don't want to fuck this up, but um, we'll get some more facts on it and actually talk about it at at another time. But we're talking about violent crime, and that kind of popped in my head. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's a, you know, I get it, man. Everybody wants, you know, everybody to be hunky-dory. Yeah. 100%. Unfortunately, uh, Mike and I have been in the real world overseas uh, quite a bit, and it's just not realistic. So Not at all. Yeah, when you plan, uh, I hope that everything that we're talking about is something that resonates with you, and it's just a a constant reminder that, you know, the world can be a dangerous place, and if you're unprepared, uh, it just complicates things uh, to the point where you might lose your life. So I, I think there's elements to preparation that we've uh, we've lined out before, but let's just go over them again. One is mindset. Yeah, mindset. And when we talk about mindset, it's just realizing the things that I just talked about, that the world is a dangerous place and you have to prepare uh, to protect yourself and your family. Even if you don't have to be this fucking you know, special operations gunfighter and all this other bullshit. Hey, if, you're a fr- if you own a pistol, if you own a rifle... Uh, shotgun, whatever it is, learn how to use the damn thing so you can protect yourself and your family uh, to handle it safely around your family, to teach them to respect firearms. Um, When we talk about, you know, the medical capability, you know, it makes a big difference to have a little bit of first aid training, whether that's, you know, CPR and stop the bleed kind of stuff or a little bit further, depending on what your appetite is for learning. Uh, But the stuff exists. Um, There's good instructors out there. And, you know, it doesn't make any sense in this day and age to not be prepared that way. The next is equipment. Yeah, equipment uh, is easy. Go to fieldcraftsrevival.com. Yeah, it's, it's a good <laughs> start point, right? all your EDC right? equipment. No, uh, but there, yeah, I mean, a firearm, a tourniquet, you know, a small med kit. Survival kit. Yeah, what do you run inside of your, uh, inside of your mobility platform or your vehicle? Um, all An everyday mobility bag by Fieldcraft Survival <laughs> with survival, med, and all the extras. Bam! Um, no, but, you know... I would encourage you, uh, one, to come to our website. Two, if you don't, there are other companies out there that make great gear. Um, but, but again, you know, this uh, is an educational podcast. So starting with mindset, then going to equipment, and then next we have next training. We, starts with a T. We have training. <laughs> Look, yeah. when, we're, when we're talking about You break this down really well with yeah. the 10, 10, 80, 10 concept, which uh, if you guys – um, don't know, we do free survival seminars. Yep. We got one Saturday Yeah, and we talk about this. So I'll let Mike talk, uh, this little piece because it's actually really important to understand and it's been proven. So, so if, if you guys are interested in survival psychology, I recommend you guys look up a, a, a doctor, 
um, a psychologist by the name of Dr. Uh, John Leach. And John Leach is a survival psychologist who actually has a book called Survival Psychology, which is rare in the field of case studies on ca- you know, catastrophic events that kill people. Right. And so his whole, his whole idea was, hey, I know this is happening. I know it's bad, but I want to determine why people live and why people die. And one of the, the points that we try to drive home is that, you know, without, you know, running this into the ground, because it's, it's pretty complex, that if you take down a, uh, you know, the demographic, let's say it's 100 people, and you say, uh, you break that down into who's living and dying, 10% of that 100 people, so let's call it 10 people, are going to survive because they have not only the training, but the cognitive ability right. to learn, adapt, uh, they have experiences. 80% of those people are going to live and die probably about 50-50 depending on their level of cognitive understanding and um, their ability to adapt and also their training. And 10%, no matter what you do, are, are going to die. And I use you know the, the facts of people yeah. jumping out of three-story buildings when they could have took the stairs to evacuate a second-floor fire. Children are also in this t- t- bottom 10% mm-hmm. because children don't have the cognitive ability to make decisions in under stress. Right. Remember, the, what we're talking about is how do you deal with yourself and your decision decisions that you make, not in just a an event that's going to uh, determine life or death, but under stress right. of life and death, which has a lot of physiological. Uh, undertones and yeah. effects to your to you, to your decision making process. So the bottom line is, uh, with all that said, you have to be able to train yourself under stress and in certain environments in order to adapt uh, properly to those situations. Yeah, we talk about it in training all the time. You're not going to rise to level. You're not going to rise to the occasion. You're going to rise to your level of training, which is one hundred percent thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so train. Training and, and, is a huge uh, mitigator uh, to being one of the statistics that uh, you don't make it. Well, one of the, one of the things that we debate in training and that we're, we're literally in the tactical industry in space is uh, the argument what what's good training versus bad training. Right. And what's uh, right versus wrong is, mm-hmm. is typically how they, how they frame it. We'll, we'll just lay it out like this. Um, we recommend that you train with us, but there's a lot of people that we recommend you train with. Uh, we'll put that out at a latter date. We typically pull that uh, pull that out and talk about it every once in a while. But one rule of thumb is uh, choose instructors that have experiences that they teach from, right? Uh, and then that they could recognize in defining the why. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't define the why to me, yeah, if you just regurgitate another instructor's yeah. uh, teaching methodology, but you can't even describe the why, I probably don't want to train with you. Exactly, and and <laughs> and that's not a bad thing against people who are trying to train other people. But the the realization that that takes place is a um, is an important one, right? And 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 will allow you to dis- to discriminate, allow you to choose <laughs> wisely. <laughs> As my Asian mother would say, um, see that Asian joke? How I recovered from that racism and <laughs> segregation back to uh, making fun of myself. Um, so yeah, training is uh, it's very important. Uh, important. <laughs> I'm still talking about Asian. Just, yeah. Now it's just getting uh, racist. Very important. Very important. Very important. Um, so uh, we I have a, we, some such a racist. Our, our last acronym <laughs> is uh, isolate, rehearse, repeat under training, which is. 
you isolate a said task, you rehearse it until it's optimized or efficient mm-hmm. or sufficient. Until and, you're able to repeat it with and no then, mistakes. Yeah, you repeat it with no mistakes. You mm-hmm. repeat it again and again until you commit it to uh, what's called muscle memory. A lot of people, we were just talking about this morning, a lot of people were like, don't use muscle memory. These guys aren't using muscle memory. Well, it, it, it relates back, uh, generally speaking, to what your mind is trans- transitioning through your body, which requires physical movement. It's not just a thinking concept. It's a doing concept, which is physical, which requires muscle movement. Um, I feel like that was your save for muscle memory. <laughs> it, it is. I, I still like to use it because it, it's just an easy, recognizable thing. We used thing. to say it a lot in the military. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, so yeah, choose the right trainers. Uh, some guys that we recommend is Johnny Primo Courses of Action. Uh, what's what's Ryan's company um, or Sean Ryan's company? Uh, I don't know actually. Which I I'm sorry, Sean. Uh, yeah, Sean's company. Can we look that up? He's on. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for him, you can find him on Instagram at Sean Ryan. Was it seven six two? Yeah, seven six two. Um, also, who else? Nr. Yeah. Nr. Yeah. Northern Red. Northern Red. Yep. Um, you can check them out. Awesome dudes. Great uh, guys. Yep. Uh, who else? Uh, do 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 Carry Trainer or Carry. Yeah. Yeah. Carry Trainer is another Trainer. one. He yeah. does a uh, a lot of real uh, good breakdowns of violent crime and statistics and. Uh, realistic things to protect yourself, so it makes a lot of sense to yeah. train with him. Vigilance Elite is uh, Sean's, and his handle is Sean Ryan seven six two. Also, okay. uh, Bear Solutions, B A E R Solutions. Yeah, absolutely, Drew Bear. Drew yep. Bear. Yeah. Um, lots of good companies out there. I don't know if you noticed the Overtone, which was probably a lot of ex special operations guys. Uh, we know they've been in gunfights, and we know that they've been put in life threatening situations, and so they can teach from their experience and give you the why. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, and it's not just uh, about set experiences that lead you. Um, a, a lot of it has to do with uh, your training experiences and teaching and learning right. through that process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, uh, we do that a lot. We actually talk about different things that we experience or are exposed to and go back into those scenarios, talk through them, and then pull out teaching points from them so we can give people the why, which is... You know, I can tell you what it's like to almost be killed because I've almost been killed when I got blown up. And then I can tell you, you know, the physiological responses that I had during that uh, experience. And then I've had a lot of time, you know, to think on that one particular incident on top of a lot of other ones that happened uh, throughout my military career. And so those are all great uh, teaching vignettes and being able to talk and and I don't even talk about those like I got it right every single time because quite honestly, uh, when I was younger experiencing that stuff, a lot of it, like I, you know, it was a little bit jacked up. And so you figure out how to fight through those kind of situations and survive. So interesting. Interesting. All right, let's talk about, we're going to close this out, but we're going to talk about the Pennsylvania State Police shooting that we talked about um, before. <laughs> Um, I pulled it up on hey YouTube so we could just be refreshed of it. Um, just so you guys know, it's I'm burned gonna, into my memory. I'm going to read you uh, the the layout, uh, the overview of what happened. But uh, Daniel Clary, 22, was suspected of driving under the influence of marijuana when he was pulled over by two Pennsylvania State Troopers, Ryan Siepel and Seth Kelly, in November 2017. New release footage shows the pair trying to handcuff Clary as they resist. In the ensuing struggle, Clary was tasered before he attempted to wrestle the guns from both officers. After freeing himself and grabbing a weapon from his car, he shot Kelly in the neck, thigh, and shoulder. Kelly was airlifted to hospital. 
and officials have said his own quick thinking and applying a tourniquet saved his life. Sipple, who was injured, told a court he was fearing for his life as he fell backwards toward, uh, during the gunfight. Yeah. And actually, um, um, in this uh, incident, um, which is on YouTube and also on Gunfu Fighting's page, uh, it's one of the videos, um, there's a lot of things <laughs> that we saw that were uh, mistakes. Yeah. I know, and I know you mentioned one of the uh, district attorneys was talking about, hey, like there was several instances where you could have used deadly force. Yeah, so I prior read, to being shot. I at. read the local article uh, in the news, and basically, uh, you know, they had the the local district attorney or ADA weigh in on the uh, on that shooting in particular with those law enforcement guys in PA, and the district attorney makes it very clear uh, in that article that that uh, this. There were several times in the altercation where uh, the officers could have used deadly force. And so uh, there's one thing when you watch the video, uh, I hope you do, um, like immediately when the guy goes into the car, like, I mean, my spidey senses uh, are like going off the entire time because this one, this dude is like outpowering two grown men. He's, you know, he's a grown uh, man himself, but outpowers two law enforcement guys, gets up, runs away around the car, and then like dives in the car, I mean, uh, presumably to get something. And then he actually pulls a pistol out and gets into a gunfight with these guys. So right off the bat, you know, um, just, I mean, the whole thing, you're just like, you're holding your breath watching it because you're like, oh my God. And then you say, oh my God, like 50 times uh, as this dude runs back uh, into the driver's side of the vehicle to get a pistol and gets into a gunfight with these guys. You know, I'm just looking at it right now, and one of the, the issues that um, keeps bugging me, man, and um, it's it's an issue with one of the police officers' uh, backup duty pistol mm-hmm. actually falls out of his ankle holster, I believe, or it was his. It was just a yeah. Backup it was a gun. backup gun. It falls out. It one falls of the guys out. tries to clear it. Well, he 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 runs. You know, there's that there's a point in which they actually have control. One right. of the officers, who's the bigger officer is uh, waylaying the dude, and then they get him behind the vehicle, and they're going to basically uh, handle him. And immediately after the guy loses his pistol and it falls on the ground, he leaves the other officer behind, mm-hmm. right? And actually, I'm counting the seconds here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Almost 10 seconds leaves the other officer by himself as he rolls back. Uh, and I'll play that again for the gram, but he actually rolls back, pulls the gun, clears the gun, locks and clears it, uh, drops the magazine, throws the gun off the side, then runs back and picks up something off the ground and then is going to help the other officer. Right. And so they they seem to have control of him. Mm-hmm. They're trying to roll him, over, roll him over on his stomach. They're doing the right things, but he overpowers, like you said, both of them. Right. And then he goes to run in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Now, he's standing in the driver's side vehicle with the window down, reaching into the the vehicle. Right. Now, there's nothing that he would be doing, in my mind... Other than trying to do other something Other than bad. trying to get do something bad, absolutely. Right. Um, so, but, you know, the officers at that point did not did not uh, decide to use deadly force, which, by, by all rights, they grabbed their gun based on their decision-making process, and he gets out of the vehicle with a pistol right. and starts waylaying them at point-blank range, which is approximately 5 to 10 feet, Mm-hmm. as they're trying to break contact. Right. Um, one officer jumps over the railing uh, as he's shot. He's actually got shot in his leg, 
and then is fighting still from the side. And the other officer, which I, which I did do research on, w- who wasn't injured, is over by the car, mm. and uh, the guy just drives off. Right. Yeah, it's like a, there's a, I don't know, a 10, 5, 10 second. It looks like a gunfight going on, and then they drive away. Yeah, it's it's a bad situation. I you know, look, I, I'm no I'm I'm in no position to uh, judge the officers for the the things that they did. But I w- I will say this: there there is a a systemic problem based on all the experiences that we have with working with law enforcement of the lack of training that these officers get mm-hmm. uh, tied into the expectation of what what you're supposed to get. Uh, out of these officers when they're confronted with life or death situations. Yeah, I mean we're we're expecting miracles, right? We're we're expecting perfection. We're expecting all these things based on what we've typically seen in academies is one two weeks of firearms training. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you have somebody with zero. You can go into the academy with zero firearms experience. You go into the academy. They teach you how to use a firearm, and you have one week of live fire, maybe two weeks of live fire. Or you're shooting, and then your typical departments that we talk to are giving a couple boxes of ammo a year to mm-hmm. qual to recall, right. which is typically a, a qualification on paper that has nothing to do with a real life scenario where they have to make decisions as opposed to just burn down a paper target. Right. Yeah, I'm glad that's all you got to say about that. <laughs> Good job. It's. Uh, I mean, clearly it's a training issue. That's for sure. So. If I had to make a suggestion to, you know, it's just a sensitive talk. Like I hate armchair quarterbacking. I don't think it's armchair quarterbacking at all. You you have it. You have a look. An armchair quarterback is from a fat dude. Sit, the whole the whole analogy comes from a fat dude sitting on his ass judging a quarterback who's in in the game. You are in the game. You've been in the game. That's true. And so you've been there. Yeah. So now we're talking about Joe Montana <laughs> sitting down in a recliner <laughs> talking shit about a football player, and you're in that position. Joe you're Montana. Joe Montana. I'm Be on Joe, Joe Montana. Montana. Um, uh, no, it's a training issue. These guys and gals need more training, and I think LE agencies across the United States need to make a more concerted effort to uh, you know, move their – funding, if you will, into those areas. I mean, hey, we all know that uh, LE agencies are restricted somewhat based off of the funding that they get for training and everything else. And I mean, you know, instead of buying those fancy new, you know, shiny low quarters that you got to wear in your blues or whatever it is, uh, maybe that money should be allocated to training. I don't know. 100%. So. And, and you know, I, I look, j- just like with Tim Foley, we talked about this, where back in the day, you know, of a, a, a vigilante, a mercenary, was a soldier of fortune. It was a good thing. Yeah. It wasn't a soldier of misfortune. <laughs> it was a soldier of fortune because augmenting um, Peace Corps, military, whatever it uh, was, was a good thing. When you have civilians who are armed, responsibly armed and trained, you have the ability to augment uh, the force in, in a bad situation. And it, there's there's countless acts of civilians who have uh, CCWs um, stopping and defending their lives and others mm-hmm. uh, with with responsible firearms training. Police officers who live in the position and role of that are given the least amount of training. And the and what's funny is like governments look at civilians as a liability. Right. Well, I would look at departments. And the police officers with, in those departments that don't train their guys adequately, guys and gals, 
of it's being liability. Liability, definitely a liability. And so, I in fact, what's crazy is when we ever see, whenever we see these things, I don't blame. It's I rarely blame the individual officer. It's typically the institution. It's Absolutely. an institutional problem. But well, one we have the experience because we've worked with all these institutions, including. Uh, I would say well over a couple dozen uh, police departments, and we've seen institutional problems that stagnate the officers' abilities to train outside. Right. Um, and we've been lucky in the sense of uh, the guys that we, guys and gals we get out, are serious about their training, which is why it's usually a good interaction, which is cool. But institutionally, people have to pay attention. Uh, typically, the higher ups are so bogged down by administrative bullshit and everything else. I mean, we saw this stuff in the military too. It's like the further you get away from, you know, actually doing the job, the further away your reality is as far as how you deal with the people that are doing the job. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's a, I think it's a, it's a training issue and it needs to be brought, uh, more attention needs to be brought with it. We expect these men and women to do some pretty incredible things. They ought to have the training that goes along with it. Yeah. Don't, don't automatically demonize the officers. Let's, let's take a breather and when we look and analyze this these men and women do it every single day mm -hmm. as a job yeah this isn't just a one-off and they confront criminals that you don't see on their body cams all the time mm -hmm. and it's something that needs to be brought up and talked about more often so yeah thanks for <laughs> thank you <laughs> that's all i got to say about that back um, pat so hey you know uh in wrapping up this uh episode of the phil Cross survival podcast uh, a couple of things. Let's highlight a couple of things. Kurt's a racist. Kurt's a race, uh, <laughs> insecure armchair quarterbacking, <laughs> racist, white-faced, pale-faced, white man, Hispanic wife, Belgian dog. Um, so we got a few things. Um, we have the survival seminar. We're going to be doing those more often, but we also have the everyday mobility course, which we are migrating into doing a lot of. In the near future... Yeah, we actually plan thanks to our one-legged friend Lance. A big shout out to Lance and his one leg, um, <laughs> and, and to his son Martin. Uh, we will be doing level ones, uh, level twos, and level threes of the Overland Survival Course, which has been formerly known as the EDM Everyday Mobility Course. We just want to make it a little bit Google Analytically <laughs> correct. Um, <laughs> But look, the Overland Survival Course is an overland course where you learn survival, you learn self-defense, you learn all this good stuff that's required of responsible citizens in our, in our country who want to be better prepared. Uh, those are two-day courses, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, the next one is September 8th and 9th in Prescott. And then Kurt is uh, looking at a couple plants for a couple of uh, the courses outside of uh, that place. Hopefully Utah and New Mexico. Utah would be a good one, man. Yeah. Where are you thinking at for Utah? Uh, either Moab or Zion or something in those areas. So not only can we enjoy doing all the teaching tasks, but also enjoy the environment as well. The environment is <laughs> Kurt's burnout. He's tracer burnout right now. <laughs> he needs to eat chow. Um, Our podcast used to be an hour. Now they're like five. Well, I think we, <laughs> we usually just go until we're just done, which I think is a good a good mo. Um, also, we do have uh, September fifteenth and sixteenth. We have a lot of slots left on the carbine course in California, which is rare. And one of the concerns is a lot of people have asked us, "Hey, I'm California compliant. How am I going to go run and gun?" Yeah. Well, bring your ammo, bring your stupid gun, your stupid Cali compliant gun, and we'll work through that. Right. Because the bottom line is we want you to be prepared with what you're legally allowed to own in that state. 
and there's no reason to not train on what you've been uh, uh, what you have to use yeah what you what you have yeah uh, a little bit earlier than that 25 26 25th in Prescott Arizona is a gunfighter pistol course uh, that's turned out uh, to be a smaller class so if you want to sign up for that please do uh, we'll be in the local area here in Prescott teaching more often. And then the 26th of August is a gunfighter carbine class. There's several slots still left for that at Cowtown in northern Phoenix. Um, and then, like Mike said, 8, 9 September, we have that mobility course. 15, 16 September, gunfighter pistol, gunfighter carbine in Cali, Series, California. And then we are off to Alaska. Awesome. Off to Alaska. <laughs> Alaska is going to be a long and amazing trip. Looking forward to that <laughs> and getting the fuck away from work. Well, actually, we're not. We're never that. getting away. We're not doing that. <laughs> we're actually doing it for work. Yeah. Interesting enough. Um, so, yeah, thank you for tuning in to Phil Craft Survival Podcast. Obviously, we have a lot of um, resources for information. <laughs> uh, YouTube, the Phil Craft Survival channel, uh, philcraftsurvival.com. Also, you could catch us on Twitter at philcrafttweet. Uh, also, also you can catch Kurt on his Instagram, Kurt underscore Team Philcraft. Mine's Mike A Mike dot Glover, uh, and obviously the Philcraft um, channels, Philcraft Survival, every Philcraft account. Just type in Philcraft, <laughs> Google it, yeah, Google it, um, <laughs> or go to our website where there's links to everything. Pretty much tap into everything. Every pretty much everything. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, we like talking about preparedness. We hope you got something out of it. Uh, we look forward to the next one. Hell yeah. Until next time. Stay alert. Stay alive.